Let's visit the 90s all over again. Put on those hammer pants. This is Dope Nostalgia. I really hope you're not hearing the sound of my electric heater in the background because it is minus 30 Celsius in Edmonton right now. And yeah, yeah, we got to keep warm. Yeah, it's that time of year. Thank you for listening to Dope Nostalgia. And I am your host, Naomi. And I'm welcoming the drummer from a really cool rock band that's still really active, making lots of music, and they've never stopped. Harem Scarum, all the way from Toronto. Check this out. We're, we talked to uh, the drummer, whose name is Darren Smith, Darren James Smith. And he's also active in a lot of other bands. He's going to tell you about his musical history and what's going on with Harem Scarum. After I tell you a little bit about Harem Scarum, here you go. Wikipedia moment. Harem Scarum is a Canadian melodic hard rock band from Toronto. Harem Scarum initially achieved popularity in their native Canada and Japan in the early 1990s. The band was active from 87 to 2008 and again from 2013 after reforming. Throughout their career, they have released 15 studio albums including two releases where they changed the band's name to Rubber, plus numerous live and compilation albums, and a re-record of Mood Swings as Mood Swings 2 in 2013. Total record sales are in excess of 1 million worldwide. Now, Harem Scarum was formed back in 87 by guitarist Pete Lesperance and singer Harry Hess, formerly of Blind Vengeance, who had recorded two heavy metal albums in the 1980s. The name Harem Scarum was based on a Bugs Bunny cartoon. The initial Harem Scarum lineup was completed by Darren Smith on drums and Mike Giannette on bass. This lineup recorded a demo CD in 1990, which garnered them attention since most demos at the time would be on cassette tape only. On the strength of this demo, they were signed to Warner Music and recorded their first album. In 91, Harem Scarum released their self-titled debut which charted at number 68 on the Canadian album chart. A hit single from the album, Slowly Slipping Away, charted at number 25 on the Canadian singles chart. And there were also two other minor chart hits, Honestly and Love Reaction. The following year, Harem Scarum was able to gain some notoriety when eight songs from their debut album, Harem Scarum, were predominantly featured in the Canadian teen series, Degrassi Junior High, and Degrassi High's farewell TV movie, Schools Out. The band released their second album in 1993, Mood Swings, which had a harder sound to it when compared to the first album. And Mood Swings featured the recorded vocal debut of Drummer Smith on the song Sentimental Boulevard. Mood Swings charted at number 83 on the Canadian charts. The album's lead-off single was No Justice, which was in a lot of rotation on the Power 30 at Much Music. I do remember that. Really love that tune. So Mood Swings caused the band to gain popularity in Japan, and the band's previous album was quickly issued in that country the following year. Then they put out on the live and acoustic album. Then in 1995, they released their third album, Voice of Reason. They changed their musical style to be even heavier and darker than in the previous two albums. So then what happened? Well, bassist Mike Giannette departed after Voice of Reason for personal reasons and was replaced by former Blue Bones member Barry Donaghy. The next two albums, Karma Cleansing and Big Bang Theory, saw Harem Scarum modernizing their sound. Barry Donahue also made his lead vocal debut with Harem Scarum on the song Sometimes I Wish. 
Both albums and the singles from them again failed to chart. In 1998, the band released the single So Blind. In 1999, Harem Scarum changed their name to Rubber and released two albums under that name in Canada. However, they still use the name Harem Scarum in Japan and the rest of the world. Pete made his recorded lead vocal debut on the song Trip from the self-titled Rubber CD. They made a music video for Sunshine, which had actors that looked like Jane, Silent Bob, and parodied movies, which were released around that time, such as American Pie. The second album, under the name Rubber, was called Ultra Feel, and featured their new drummer, Creighton Doan, replacing Darren for a short while. Smith briefly switched to guitar and joined Helix as a touring musician that time. But don't worry, he came back. And he's here to talk to us about all the great times and all the wonderful music they've made over the years. Welcome, Darren James Smith, to Dope Nostalgia. Part of Canada are you in right now? I'm in Ontario, uh, just about 30 minutes east of Toronto. Somewhere beautiful, I imagine. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not really a city guy, um, but I'm not really a suburbia guy either. I live on a, like a pile of acres in the middle of nowhere, but uh, I guess the town I live in is Curtis. Okay, awesome. Are you like off a lake there? Or? Yeah. Oh, that's gorgeous. Yeah, it's, it's nice out here, you know. Yeah. Toronto has the water too, but you know, you got to put up with all the people. <laughs> I've been to Toronto once and I found it overwhelming, honestly. Then don't go to New York. Oh, I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a little overwhelming. It's one of those nice places to visit, can't live there things. Absolutely, absolutely. I've never, I've never lived in Toronto, but I spent all my childhood and my teenage years going to Toronto every weekend to rock and roll shows and all the fun stuff, but I always like to leave it, you know? Mm, exactly. Now, for the history of your bands, I'm going to tell a lot of people, obviously, off the front hop there, um, some of the bio of the things you guys have done. Now, one thing I saw there um, was on your ultimate collection on Spotify. Am I missing seeing No Justice on there? This is the song that really got me into the band. Um, I've never looked. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I missed it, but uh, um, um, I don't know why it wouldn't be. <laughs> but um, I, I, I don't spend a lot of time on Spotify. I'm sort of not down with the fact that the guy who invented it makes more money than any musician who wrote songs. Yeah. But I, I, I was curious, and uh, I, I checked it out, and um, I don't find the quality of it's all that great. I mean, it's all right if you listen on headphones, mm. but um. I'm a vinyl guy, you know, I just, I, I, I still romanticize about how rock and roll used to be, and yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I don't think it'll ever get there again, but. <laughs> Good old analog recordings, too. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, um, something I learned about when I was in a re taking a recording class is, of course, we were learning everything digitally, but, uh, I mean, uh, the producer who taught us definitely drove home the importance of analog and that we should be learning that as well. Absolutely. Well, Scarum started out recording analog on a two-inch 24-track uh, in a cabin in the middle of nowhere. Mm. And and we were like one of the first guys to have, uh, I can't even remember what it, it might have been. I don't even know what, what kind of computer it was, but it was like a click track or something. But we've been right through the whole digital age, but we started out analog. Mm. 
Well, luckily, most of the techno technology they've been inventing now is getting closer to sounding like analog. I'm just like, well, why don't we just go back to tape? And then, right? <laughs> why not? Do you collect vinyl yourself now? Yeah, I always have, yeah. So yeah, I've got just, quite a few. Even though it seems like a fad now, you've always kept up with it regardless, so that's pretty sweet. I, 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 when I left home as a kid, I just took my records as the most important thing that I could take with me. And that they were in road cases, mind you, but, mm. you know. You had several tracks feature on the TV show Degrassi. How did that come about? And did you guys watch the show? Um, no, because we're adults, but... <laughs> Um, we, we, I don't know what really, how it happened, because it was so long ago. Uh, oddly enough, I have friends whose kids are in the show. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but, but when we were, when we were recording the first album, uh, in Sounds Interchange, like the whole cast of Degrassi came down from that first year and watched us shoot this video for Honestly. It might have been Honestly. I can't remember. Hard to love. I can't remember. But, mm. um, yeah, we didn't know anything about it, and we were just excited to have a record deal. So the fact that we were soundtracked to a TV show, it, it, didn't, it didn't change anything. We were still just a bunch of young guys with a record deal, right? Yeah. No, absolutely. You um, know, I never watched it. I turned it on. I'm like, I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. The thing I've always appreciated most about your band is the sense of melody. Now, who primarily does the writing? Is it a total group effort? Harry's sort of always been the melodic, like the melodic and the, the lyrical guy. Um, mm -hmm. and, and then Peter's joined in a little bit later. Um, I was, I just kept it as, as rock and roll as it could be. I mean, I, I do a lot of the sing. I, I sing on every record yes. with Harry to get the backups. It's just mostly me and Harry. We have the occasional, um, you know, celebrity that'll sing on it, like Tony Harnell or Jeff Scott Soto. And, and they'll do some little bits here and there. But for the most part, me and Harry go in and, and knock all the backups out in one or two days. Like, we'll just go and go and go until it's done. And uh, we still don't get how we do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's always like, holy crap, that's us? Because we, well, the way we record it, it's me and Harry sing the exact same thing on the same track, and then it becomes a whole different human being mm -hmm. with our voices that blend together. Um, and we've been doing that since 1988. Uh, Harry and I went to Fanshawe Recording Institute in London, Ontario. I mean, we were friends. We were in a band called Blind Vengeance before that when we were, like, little kids. Yeah. We're, we're the youngest band in Canada to have a deal, I think. Mm. And, and then we weren't only in the same course. We were in the same classes every day. And then I ended up playing guitar on um, recordings that Harry... Harry came to a recording school with an eight-track quarter-inch Fostex in his apartment. So uh -huh. we, would just, we would just go there and write and play songs. Well, yeah, I mean, the thing I really appreciate is the feeling you get when you get a nice harmony going and it hits just right, you know? There's nothing to... Yeah, yeah, we... Uh, every time we make a record... Uh, I, I, it never fails. Harry or Peter or I will go, we're never doing this again. Because <laughs> it, it really does take up 
all of your brain matter, and then you don't think you'll ever be able to achieve what you just achieved. Yeah. And then we do it again, and then we do it like every year, and we're like, it's 17 albums now, I think. Something like that. And it's like, oh, that's why I'm so old. <laughs> it's like an addiction, though. You're like, no, I'm done. But no, you're never done. Yeah, it, it's, um, well, now we're just like, we're never going to say that anymore because we just keep banging. But we're amazed that we're still like, we we started to achieve what we wanted to achieve when grunge music came into the fold and pretty much destroyed anybody with nice hair. <laughs> so, so um, the fact that we even continued on past that, because so many of our friends in Honeymoon Suite and Brighton Rock and, and uh, Haywire and all them bands, they, they all kind of folded, but we had this, this career still going over across the seas in Japan and in Europe. With the fall, and we had no idea. Because, I mean, we couldn't even really get arrested in Canada. We couldn't get arrested in America either. But um, but for some reason, Europe, it's like we were their favorite band. And so when we toured over there, we were selling out huge auditoriums and, uh, and venues. And we're like, we don't get this at all, but we're not going to complain about it. <laughs> There's something magical about uh, rock and roll in Europe. Like... It's still to this day appreciated. Festivals, obviously not right. Yeah, they weren't so influenced with the, the times that are changing, you know. And um, I mean, I love a lot of the grunge music. Um, mm -hmm. We try to emulate that with the album Voice of Reason, which pissed off a lot of our melodic friends and fans. But mm -hmm. but we do like it. Um, you know, like Harry says, grunge music was a necessary evil. And there's nothing wrong with music changing. Doesn't mean you have to change with it. You can just add it to your vocabulary, right? That's true. Do you feel like grunge was almost like a cleansing of the palate? Well, absolutely. I mean, it has to change. I mean, in the in the years I've been playing music, I've seen it change so many times. Mm. I just didn't get. I did. I was never caught caught in the middle of it before. But the way that. The band just, you know, continued in Europe, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with touring Europe. You know, we love it. We love to travel. We love to see friends. We've got friends all around the world that it's just, you know, that are almost family to us. Mm. And, uh, you know, this, this COVID thing's been worse damaging to music than any change of musical style in mm. the past. Yep. Um, I mean, I, there's only one game in town where I live, the Atria, and I literally will play in cover bands just so I can get my yeah yeahs out from time to time, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's still the need to play. It's like it's it's like burnt into you. It's important that you you have an outlet. It's it's really who I am. I, I'm I don't really know what else I would do in this world, and and I've tried other things, and I don't like it. <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, no, I mean, I'm, I've seen a lot of people still trying to do their creativity online, doing Zoom meetings, doing Zoom concerts, uh, uh, without the audience there in front of you. That's got to be yeah. really difficult. Yeah, I, I did it a couple of these streaming things. I'm just not interested. I've been approached to go out and do these drive-in theaters where everybody sits in their cars and then hear a bunch of horns honking. I'm just, I, I don't want to destroy what my what I've lived through and enjoyed so much seeing the people's faces, seeing them sing along 
and instead of window wipers going and, and haunt, horns honk, and I don't want any part of it because I don't want to forget where where I've been and what I've done because I'm I've had a really blessed and wonderful life playing music. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I by now and no means I'm gonna quit, but I don't see any sign of this ending anytime soon. And you know, from the promoters I've met through the years. There's nobody's going to want to drop two or three million dollars on a festival, knowing not knowing if people are going to come. Yeah. You know, so I mean, will I write a record again, another solo record? Maybe, but it's not on my mind right now. I'm just uh, I'm enjoying like uh, Sunday. I, I host a jam and we play like just cool punk rock songs and cheap trick and just fun stuff mm. and try to get back a little bit of what we've lost. But um, when the music's playing, it just feels the same. You know, it, it doesn't feel lost, but you almost it's all forget. the times in between. You, you almost forget that this crap is going on right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, when you said you want to do an interview, I'm like, what are we going to talk about? <laughs> like, there's nothing really happening aside from this little dirty punk rock club I play that really brings me back to my roots. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of the old uh, 70s and 80s punk rock I still enjoy, like the Pistols and the Damned and uh, the Dead Boys. And, and uh, I've made all these young kids learn this stuff, and it feels really good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, there's still definitely a point to doing these things because, I mean, I think Harem Scarum was a very important part of rock history in this country. And then there's a lot of people who don't know about all the music that you did. So this is something that I think is important for people to learn about. Yeah, well, like I said, I mean, we, we sort of couldn't get arrested in Canada because, well, because I think grunge was sort of like pushing all the melodic rock bands out of the way and... We toured Canada uh, going, man, this country's big. And then, you know, you go to Europe and you, you're in a tour bus and your gigs are 45 minutes apart, <laughs> you know, as opposed to Canada. But, um, yeah, we, we didn't have a lot of success in Canada. I think, you know, maybe because of the grunge thing or maybe people just were moving on to other things. But, um, you know, now that we're older and we've been around for, like, more than 20 years, people are like, oh, my God, that's a great band. I'm like, yeah, well, you missed the boat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you are. Now you're here. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's still me, Pete, and Harry. Uh, we've had to change up bass players a few times. Um, but but the, the, the songwriting team is, is, is basically Harry and Peter. Uh, and, you know, people ask me, like, why don't you write more? I'm like, well, there's too many cooks. It's not like they're doing it wrong. It's not like... <laughs> You know, if I were going to write a song, I'd probably just save it for me or something I'm doing because I'm a singer as well. Yes. Uh, you know, I play guitar in another band. I, I play drums in another band. I play bass for people. I'll, I'll play the saxophone <laughs> in a band if someone calls me, man. You know, like I like to play music, and it doesn't really matter what I'm playing as long as I'm, I'm doing it. Well, well-rounded musician. There you go. Got uh, a love for different instruments. You may as well do it. Yeah, but the, here's here's the the clincher to the whole thing. Doesn't matter how many instruments you play, you just can't play anywhere anymore. Mm-hmm. All right, so. <laughs>
Well, I know and you said, of course, you're a singer. Your lead vocals on Sentimental Boulevard are very impressive. I find it gritty and melodically strong. You got a good tone. It might be one of my favorite tracks from the band, for sure. Well, thanks very much. That was actually Harry's idea. He said, you should sing this one. And, and, and I'm like, yeah, okay. I, I sang another one called Staying Away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember what album that's on. <laughs> but it might it might have been the first. It might have been the second. I can't really remember. Seven albums would be hard to remember. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Um, there, there, Harry did release uh, a box set. Um up and troll. What album would that been? Wouldn't have been the last one. Would have been the one before. But um, there's like a whole remix box set out there as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I have it. I've never put it on. <laughs> mm. uh, I, I should probably do that. But um, yeah, um, I'm really proud of what Harem Scarum's achieved. Uh, you know, you know what we were even up against the whole time. I love the guys in the band like they're my brothers. I love that they tolerate me and my idiocy. Um, yeah, it was it was a good ride, and 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 now I'm with Red Dragon, an American band. Um, it's also you know I'm learning things because Jake's just a, a musical savant, man. Like he, he, the stuff that guy hears blows my mind away. But, um, yeah, it's been a fun ride. Red Dragon. Do you guys got some stuff up there we can uh, play a clip on the show, too? Yeah, we have. To, uh, well, what happened was is Jake was making a hard rock record in Vegas, and then they needed a singer. There, I'm on a record where um, Robin Zander of Cheap Trick sings a song, and then um, Iron Maiden's first singer sings a song. There's a whole bunch of other singers, but I sing about four or five on the album. But then we put out our second album called Patina, and um, it's, an, it's a really, really, really good record. It took two years to make, and it's been out. We went out, toured it for two months, two months, took a short break to continue, and then COVID started. So uh, two years to make a record to tour two, two months. <laughs> yeah, that was sad. <laughs> We never got to take it to Europe. We just did America, and um, we had Phil Verone on drums for that wow. tour. And 
and he is a, he's a dear, very close blood brother now. And um, Anthony Esposito on bass from Ace Frehley's band, mm. uh, and uh, and Jake and me. And uh, and after a while, you know, people wanted to hear all this Badland stuff, and I had to sing songs that were really difficult to sing because Ray was one of the best singers of that era. Um, and it's, I've had a really, really good time in this rock and roll biz, but I'm not done, you know? No, nope. no, no. I mean, there's so much more to do. It's just a matter of when. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, you know, I don't like to tell people how old I am, but <laughs> December I'm 55. <laughs> When's your birthday? I look, uh, December 5th, ah. 1965. Right on. I'm on the 27th of December, so I was just wondering if we had the same birthday. <laughs> yeah. I still look young because I still moisturize. <laughs> That's good. A lot of men forget about moisturizing. <laughs> oh, I'm such a goof. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I still got energy. I still can do it. Uh, but who knows how long I got, right? <laughs> um. What are some of the favorite experiences you've had in Japan? Because you mentioned how things were really great there for the, for Harem Scarum. Well, the first time we went there, it was like, what is happening? <laughs> it was, uh, we were like the Beatles, or as close as I could understand what the Beatles went through going there. It's like, it's like we were always there. It's like they knew every single song we played they 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 met us on the tarmac when we got off the plane and in the, in the early morning it was like what is happening wow. and uh and get the whole real rock star treatment and then after that we couldn't go back to having just one limousine <laughs> <laughs> is that hard when you come back home and then are you like oh man it's just what just happened there <laughs> Um, no, it, it, didn't, it didn't even occur to me that it's just, it's just nice to get off the ride sometime, right? Mm -hmm. Just be normal and hang out with your friends and, yeah. you know, have house parties and, yeah, it, no, it's, it was fun to do, but to, you, I wouldn't want to do that every day in my life for 20 years. It, it, it'd be, it, you know, you'd start to look like Dave Lee Roth. <laughs> 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 oh yeah. <laughs> Do you think as a band that you'd set out to make heavier records at any point or is it just a matter of what you write coming out naturally the way it's going to come out? Do you ever go, "Oh, we're going to make a heavy record." You mean you mean like um Harem Scarum? Yeah. Well, we tried that on an album called Voice of Reason and it's one of my favorite records because mm. it's it's dark. Um, but it's heavy. It's still melodic. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the lyrical content was pretty dark, too. But people didn't dig it. And, and we're like, well, we don't want to make records people don't like. Um, what, to be honest, that remains to be seen if, if that happens again. Mm -hmm. um, I write a little heavier than Scarum does, but I'm still very melodic influenced because mm -hmm. of what I've done with them. Mm -hmm. And what I've learned, um, I haven't felt like writing a song during this COVID thing. Mm. 
But it doesn't mean I won't. It just hasn't happened yet. And I don't like to force anything because, well, one, I'm super lazy. Um, <laughs> you, know, I, I, you know, I try to keep myself busy. Um, I, have, I have a jam shack that's all situated like a studio where me and my friends will hook up once a week and we just go in and just jam out tunes and have fun together and have a couple of beers. But uh, for the most part, you know, I, I uh, it, it's hard. I don't. It's too hard to look into the future at this point in time. True enough. You know, I, I still want to get back out there with Red Dragon and and play the songs we wrote on Patina because I it, it's it's a beautiful record. Hmm. Well, we'll we'll share a we'll share a clip of a track on the show so everybody can check it out. Yeah, yeah. There um there's there's videos from the first record. Um, Deceived and um, Shouted Out is, is a pretty cool tune. Mm. Um, but from the Patina record, it's, it's, it sounds more like a band than that one because, I mean, it really wasn't a band. It was Jakey Needed a Singer, and then I came in and did some stuff, and uh, that was an interesting audition in front of all my peers and mm. <laughs> everybody whose record I bought. Uh, when I was a kid, you know, from all the L.A. bands and that, they were all there at, at my audition <laughs> having a party when I showed up. <laughs> but it really did feel like Vegas. Ah, <laughs> uh, I love Vegas. <laughs> so much. Well, I, I, Vegas to me is like Toronto. I, I, I have fun when I'm there, but I love to leave too, you know? <laughs> yeah. I can take three, four days max. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's enough for me. I go there for weeks, and long, long as we're, you know, being, you know, creative and rehearsing and stuff, it's okay. But it's just, what do you do with the rest of the time of the day? Yeah, that's true. Go to, go, there's only so many buffets you can pack in in one day. <laughs> I love the seafood buffet, but. Uh, yeah, I hear After these messages, we'll be right back. Guess what, friends? I have a new voicemail number just for you. Give us a call at Dope Nostalgia. Our number is 780-851-8785. Leave us a message. Pick up the phone just like you used to in the old days. Remember before text messaging? Yeah, we used to actually call each other. If you just want to be heard and be on the podcast, give us a call. Once again, our Dope Nostalgia hotline, 780-851-8785. Pick up the phone. This number is Canadian, so long-distance charges may apply. Have you ever wondered where some of your favorite stories came from? Think recent icons are just fads that were created in Hollywood? What if I told you that most of the pop culture icons we know and love have a long history behind them, and some of them have strange beginnings? and even stranger roads that they've traveled to become what we know now. If any of this sounds interesting to you, join me as I take you through the history, lore, and the works of actual scholars to show you more about the tropes, legends, and cultural icons you love in the Armchair Scholars Guide podcast. Together, we will go over what makes these figures in our movies and books so special 
reveal how old they actually are, and see how they've changed over the years. Along with every episode, there's also a ton of links and videos so that you too can find out more about the strange and unusual worlds and characters that have kept us up at night and kept us coming back for more. If you've always wanted to know more about the Joker, have a passion for Dracula, or just wanted to know who Santa really is, meet me at the Armchair Scholar's Guide podcast every second Saturday and let curiosity be your guide. use one of these golden eye load a rumble pack and see how it feels when 007 meets n64 Involved with using the internet in its earliest stages in the nineties. How long did you, yeah. did you catch on to that? Um, what do you mean using the internet? I mean, well, first of all, getting involved with just getting online, getting an email address set up, and all of that. But then, oh, yeah, using yeah. it for the band and promotion, promotion for the band. From, from day one, we were using them, and then that's kind of what happened to the, the house telephone. It's like, what do we need this for? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good old landlord. Yeah, yeah, we all we all had that going on, and it, you know it was limited back then. But I think the fact the fact that the internet's come so far, it's just disconnected people, and yeah. uh, I think it's done more damage than good, to be honest. With well, yeah. I mean, it's made a lot of people feel falsely se- secure and confident behind the keyboard to be absolute assholes to others, that's for sure. Absolutely. And then people interpret it to however they're feeling what they're reading, and all of a sudden, you're an asshole. <laughs> it's weird. I, I found that whole aspect of it, it's not very human-like. And so, you know, like even now, I don't text as much as I used to. Well, one, my vision's not very good. But uh, I'd rather talk to somebody, you know? People aren't going to have the same conversation in person that they're going to have online. They just, it's going to be totally different. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's got its its got its high points. It's got its low points. I mean, the, 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 trick, the trick, I think, is to, to find the balance. And, you know, 
Don't abuse anything. Mm. It'll get away on you sooner or later. What happened with renaming the band Rubber? Why did this happen? Well, well, that had to do with what was happening musically. We we were we were getting lost in the in the shuffle of how music was changing, and so we we changed the name of the band to Rubber. And then we were listening to um, a lot of like Toronto type bands, and they they're not coming to mind right now because it was quite a long time ago. Mm. And then we toured in Japan. They're like. Well, we like it, but we don't like it as much as your old one. And you do enough interviews with enough translators, you find out they don't like change as much as North America likes change. Hmm. And so we did one record. Well, they, they did two records. The second one I had nothing to do with. I think I was, I was singing for a band called Juice trying to get a record deal that Linkin Park got or something like that. And then... <laughs> Um, yeah, that, that, that's a bit of a blur, to be honest with you. I don't really recall, but I, I remember we were listening to, uh, oh yeah, there was a band in Toronto called The Odds. Oh yeah. Um, and Harry was listening to a lot of that and it kind of, you know, gave him an idea to write differently and, and some of the songs I, I liked and then some of them were like, I don't get it, but. Mm-hmm. You know, even even Harry writes a bad song. It's still pretty damn good. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, it's probably just like a slightly different. Odds is still catchy, but there's still something different, more almost more poppy. I would say. Yeah, I think that's what was sort of happening. Is it, nobody could figure out the music industry like they never ever have been able to find out. And Harry just sort of went, you know, let's take a let's t- try this type of thing and uh i thought the record was done well i i just i i just could feel how different it was compared to the older stuff we had mm-hmm. and, but at the same time as you, when you're in a band you don't want to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again Back 
I wish people would uh, give Voice of Reason a, a second listening because I think it's a fabulous record. I'm going to play a few tracks from it. Uh, some, once again, some clips so that people get a chance to check it out. What's one of your favorite tracks that you'd like to share? Well, 17 records. Here we go. Uh, okay, for <laughs> Voice of Reason, Voice of Reason is, uh, uh, is an amazing well, Warming of Frozen Rose is a killer track. The, the track Blue that we did a video for, uh, we shot on 1930 film stock. That woman went on to do, after that video, because of that video, went on to do Marilyn Manson's Beautiful People. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, uh, and she, she, she made <laughs> a, quite a career out of it. Um, I think Mood Swings is a, a, an amazing record. I think United is, is a, one of the newest ones, or if not the newest one. <laughs> I yeah. can't remember. Um, I think that whole record's brilliant. Um, you know, when I go in to do the vocals, I never hear the whole song because there's not backup vocals through the whole record. So I do all my bits. I'm like, oh, that sounds great. And then I hear the song later. I'm like, wow. <laughs> it's pretty cool to do it that way. How were the Helix uh, years for you? You spent some time drumming with them on the road, didn't you? 
Yeah, I'd like to pass on that. No, okay. <laughs> um, no I, I did a couple of years with Mike Hall on guitar. Um, it was fun for a while, but it, you know, it's it was. I was just a side guy. I just played guitar and sang backups, and then I'd sing lead here and there mm-hmm. for fun. But that was a long time ago. I, I that was just something to do at the time. I had nothing to do. Uh, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. What, so. Obviously, I think you pretty much answered the question for me already about the which album track you wish would have been a single the most out of all 17 albums, though. What would you say? Wow. <laughs> I'd have to get back to you that. I'd have to go through the records and read the titles and go through the songs in my head and then maybe listen yeah. to them. That's um, okay. If it doesn't come I'm, to you, that's fine. I, I, think, I think for a band that's been together as long as we have and the amount of records that we've made... I definitely think our records are better than everybody else's. <laughs> <laughs> I like that confidence. It's great. I just, I just think it's um, they're they're really well crafted songs and yeah. and they're beautiful to listen to. They know? are well crafted songs, very much so, in all elements of the musicality of it too. The solos, everything, beautiful. Oh, I know. And Pete Lesfranc, like, come on. How is he not Nuno Betancourt of Canada? <laughs> I'm glad you said Nuno. He's my favorite guitar player. <laughs> How is Nuno Betancourt not the Pete Lestrance of America? <laughs> no, he's just he's a, I've, I've played with some of the best guitar players in the world, man. I mean, I have nothing to complain about. Mm-hmm. You know, Pete's a whiz. And also the youngest guy in the band. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Just a, he's the baby. He's a virtuoso. <laughs> he is. He is. He's brilliant. And he's, and he's a super incredibly great human being. Hmm. <laughs> Same as Harry. We've known each other. Well, I've known Harry since he was 14 years old. That's and uh, Peter I met, I think, when he was 18 years old. Hmm. I was 23, I think, when I, when I joined the band, 23, 24. What's, That's a long time ago. What's a concert that you attended that changed your life? Uh, there's a few. Uh, Prince Purple Rain at Maple Leaf Gardens. Mm-hmm. That blew my doors off. Um, I saw a band called Foxy Shazam open for Slash at a venue in Toronto. An amazing band. Um, I saw James Brown at Casino Rama. That was a life-changing experience. I bet. Um, Van Halen, uh, you name it, man. <laughs> Van Halen, a few, I told him a few times. Um, that's all that comes to mind right now. But there hasn't been a lot of concerts lately. But. No, but I mean, all those definitely kind of, especially as a musician, they've got to put something inside you that makes you go, inspires you to do more. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also learn your craft. That's true, too. That's very true. Now, with all of the time you have spent when you have toured this great land of ours that takes forever to get anywhere because it's so big, (laughs) what's your favorite place to visit in Canada? Um, I love the East Coast, but it's damn cold out there. I love the I love the West Coast, but it's treacherous getting there. 
Um, yeah. I love the middle of Canada. I love uh, Thunder Bay. Yeah. I love Thunder Bay. We've had some of the craziest shows and parties there I've ever remembered. <laughs> um, I, I, I like... It doesn't matter where you are, because you're always there. You're, mm. you know, like, I'm at every show I ever do, right? So it doesn't matter where it is, as long as the people that are there with me are having a good time, I, you know. That's what, what else could you ask? The company you're with, too, yep. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the, you know, Harem Scaring. We're ve all very different people. But we all get along famously. I'm not really sure how. <laughs> I was going to say, is it like a brother's thing? It's kind of like, how do you not get sick of each other after all these years? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's because they're all very entertaining people, even off stage. Mm. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, we're, we're, it's like a family. We've, we've been together for so many years. And uh, we did it all together, you know? It's true. Now, who did you get to meet in the business that you've learned the most from? Everybody. Yeah. Any, any like, anybody who made you starstruck? Uh, no. Mm -hmm. But I, I, what, the one thing I was really shy, I was uh, in Vegas, and I was watching Skid Row with Tony Harnell, mm -hmm. and I walked by Blas Elias <gasps> from, uh, from uh, Slaughter, and I go... Hey, man, he goes, Darren Smith. And I'm like, what? And then it turns out I'm older than him. <laughs> and it was kind of funny. Well, that must have felt pretty good. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and really weird. Because, yeah, because, well, the reality is they're just all people who look just like me who do the same thing. You know, I mean, yeah. Ace Fraley walks in while we're recording a Red Dragon record, and that was kind of weird. <laughs> he's huge, by the way. He's like a big guy, man. Yeah? Yeah, he's super big. Tall. Um, uh, uh, Vinnie Paul, I met him. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Ron Keel from Keel. Mm -hmm. um, who else? Well, Vegas is just full of rock stars, right? <laughs> I bet. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I... It must be difficult interviewing aging musicians whose memories aren't working so well. Oh, no. I, I'm loving it. It's great. It's good to know uh, what, what, what kind of experiences you guys have uh, had and what you're looking forward to as well. You know, it's uh, you learn a lot well, from it. I played with Red Dragon in Donington where the Monsters of Rock Festival was and Aerosmith were headlining. And Steel Panther were on it, and uh, uh, what's his name from Bon Jovi? Uh, David Bryan? No, 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 the guitar player. Oh, Zambora. Yeah, Zambora, and uh, my, my gal's uh, a big fan of, uh, of Bon Jovi. Mm -hmm. And uh, so she wanted to meet him, and he was a real dick. <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, not, he was a bit drunk, I guess, but anyway. But we were on stage, and, and uh, you know, we had the best seats. And I looked at my wife, and I'm, I'm like, do you want to go to Nottingham now? I don't know if I want to wait till Aerosmith's on. And we just looked at each other and going, we're idiots. <laughs> <laughs> That's 
it was a two-hour drive. We just want to wanted to go, but um, playing Castle Donington, eighty thousand people is something I'll never forget. Playing Maryland, uh, USA, um, to this festival um, in Maryland, uh, outdoors with all these trees coming out of the people, and that was heavy. Wow, that was amazing. Yeah. I just can't imagine seeing thousands upon thousands of faces in front of you. Yeah, you know, it doesn't matter if you slept or not. You got energy the whole show. Totally. I remember they told me, don't run out on the the catwalk. That's uh, for uh, Steven Tyler. And I'm like, well, what are you going to do, stop the show? So I run all the way out there. And I look back, and I can barely see my band. They're so tiny. <laughs> and I'm like, that's a long walk back. <laughs> Did you get in trouble for that kind of thing? Nah, they didn't care. What are you going to do? Right? Exactly. I'm doing a show. You know, I'm doing a show. It's my job. But you know, I think it's... Entertainment. I think because of the energy that the crowd gives you when it's so massive like that, honestly, it's harder to play in front of five people. Oh, absolutely. To five sing. people, it's like, I know them all. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to be energized from that. It's also kind of almost more daunting, I think. thing that much uh, but I don't need an audience I realize that rehearsing in a room with a band that plays well that's really all I need the audience is just it's just you know it's it's just the icing mm-hmm. you know I, I, I but you got to be able to play music for yourself because if you don't then you're just a poser right I guess I'm assuming yeah. I, I don't know yeah. you have to enjoy what you're playing or what's the point it has to bring you joy yeah, yeah, and, and that's the trick, and, and because you can't always count on everything going your way. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, we rehearse once a week with these four guys, and they, they do what I tell them, and everything works so <laughs> great. And we just have a really good time, and we just smile with each other, and we share a couple of beers, and everybody goes home, and, you know, and then we go play a show on the weekend, and, you know, no pressure, we just play for each other. Yeah. The real reason why everyone starts in the first place, I think, is for that experience. Well, yeah, but you forget about that when you've been doing it for, like, almost 40 years, right? That's right. You forget you forget what's important. And but this COVID thing sort of, it, you know, yeah, I learned how important rock and roll is to me, but I want to go back to what I do because what do I do if I don't? <laughs> right? It's a boring world without music. It sure is. It very much is. Do you consider yourself a nostalgic person, or are you more like looking about the future? I'm nostalgic. What? Uh, the future is always uncertain. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I just wish you could retain the glory in your mind of what you've seen and where you've been and who you've met a little better than you actually get to. Mm-hmm. That's the only part I, I don't like about aging. I mean, yeah, I could probably quit drinking, but <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's just what's getting preposterous. Me, that's what's getting me through this pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Although, although, when I'm doing the cover thing, I definitely have a few drinks doing that. When I, when I do, 
when I do real tours, I don't. I don't drink till after the show. Right. Just because I don't want anybody to have an excuse if I, you know, fuck up. Exactly. <laughs> That's smart. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, but hey, like you gotta learn something. <laughs> oh man! If, that, if that's what I learned, that's even sad in itself, you know. But I think it's more satisfying to have the drink when the show's over. Oh yeah, yeah, and then you know, in Japan, you you go out for dinner after the show, mm-hmm. so you're done like at ten o'clock. Yep. Nice and early. Yeah, yeah, and then you go out for dinner, and then you have a few drinks, and then you're in bed by, you know, 1 o'clock, and then repeat the whole thing. It's a perfect amount of time to wind down, I think. That sounds like a good way to go. Yeah, absolutely. What's uh, food or clothing item, toy, anything like that makes you nostalgic for the 90s? Well, I'm a shoe guy. Yeah. <laughs> um. I used to wear a fedora back in, uh, I'm going to say, early 90s, maybe late 80s. I can't remember. That was stolen stolen somewhere in Alberta at a restaurant. Oh, wait a minute. Was it Alberta? Yeah, we just played the zoo. Is that Alberta? Yeah, I think that's Calgary. No. The zoo? You might be right. Edmonton is the place with the big guitar on the front step oh. of the venue. Ooh. Ooh, of the venue, because we have... Oh. Yeah, well, no, there's there's a place called Reds that was in the West Ed Mall, right? Yes, yes, that's we right. We played there, and then I thought there was a venue that had a big acoustic guitar that lit up sitting on, like, the porch of the front of the bar. That's, I can't. You know what? I'm going to ask the listeners to tell me what that is. I know there's a lit up guitar that's massive in front of Axe Music, which was the guitar shop, like the, the music shop. Just oh, well, that probably wasn't there. This was years ago, like early 90s, maybe late 80s. I can't even remember. But uh, I, I remember we went to a restaurant after we played the zoo, and. Uh, and uh, somebody took my hat. And I was like, man. I've never had a hat since. <laughs> wow. Not one single hat since? No. Well, no, I don't wear hats anymore. I, I, I don't know. I got enough flag for wearing it then. <laughs> <laughs> Those fedoras are great, though. I think they flatter almost anybody as well. They're just wicked hats. Ultimately cool. Yeah. Oh, I thought of, of some people that I love. I loved meeting. Mm-hmm. Michael and Rob Sweet from Striper. I hear great things about Michael Sweet. They're excellent, amazing guys. Like, just awesome. Odds Fox, him, all them guys are amazing guys. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed meeting them. They're sweethearts. Perfect. Yeah. No, I mean, rock and roll is a great community. And, uh, yeah, and we're going to have to all pull together and get through this time. So do you think rock ever truly goes away? Do you think it's still here? Well, I think it's it's getting bullied. Yeah. You know, I mean, with, with the what kids listen to these days, um, I'm pretty sure their parents aren't going to go, turn down that pop music, it's too loud, or whatever the hell they're going to say about it. <laughs> I, 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 just, I just know that 
in my heart of hearts. I grew up in the best era of music, and I was very fortunate to do so. And I feel very sad for children that have to grow up in what they have to grow up in. Agreed. They don't really, really realize that they're listening to crap. <laughs> well, if it ain't a commercial that catches their attention like a flashing light, they're just not interested. I find that very sad. It's just the way everyone's raised now. But hopefully those are the parents now that are saying, hey, why don't you listen to something with a guitar in it? Well, that's, that's kind of doubt I am. <laughs> but um, you can't force anything. They, they have to go through the generation that they are, they live with, right? I, I don't know. That's I don't true. know. But, I mean, in what world is, does Queen, Queen's killer live album become obsolete? Yeah. In what world does Jellyfish record become just another record? Yeah. You know? Not my world, anyway. That Freddie Mercury movie did very, very well, but I'm wondering who was going to see it, if the kids were actually seeing it or not. I saw it, but there's a, there's a better uh, a documentary movie about Queen on uh, Netflix, I believe. Oh. I, I can't remember what it's called, but it was great. Is it the one with Adam Lambert in it? No. Mm. No. No, it's just more of a documentary, and they go into the recordings and how they achieve certain things. And, okay, yeah, that would yeah. that would be interesting. I'm going to check that out. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much, Darren, for spending time with me today. It was truly a pleasure uh, talking with you. I'm, I'm glad we finally got to do it. I mean, I, 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 <laughs> and look, we found things to talk about. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. There's bits and pieces missing that I can't remember, but I'll probably call you back and go, oh, yeah. so much darren you are fantastic and it was wonderful to talk to you harem scarum check them out their official facebook page is still going um i tried harem but the url was down still you can find them on their twitter facebook check it out next week we start our much music back-to-back episodes focused on the good old days in the much environments with one of the broadcasting legends, she's one of the most famous VJs that ever graced much music, Erica M. 
She'll be here to talk about her brand new podcast, The Reinvention of the VJ, as well. She's got a children's book out there. She's got so many books out there. She's going to talk about all of that with us and share with us uh, next week. And when I say back to back, the week after that, Ed the Sock is going to be here, guys, for real. <laughs> Steven, who plays Ed the Sock, it's his character, and uh, he spent some time talking with us about the character, about the times at Much Music, and man, that's a good conversation. So we'll talk to you guys soon. Take care. Follow us on Facebook at Dope Nostalgia, Instagram, Dope underscore Nostalgia, or on Twitter at Nostalgia Dope. This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work.